Welcome back, everybody, to Driving to the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, uh, here with Dante. Tommy, unfortunately, couldn't make it. He's already hard at work training for the NFL Draft Combine. <laughs> He's got a draft promise from the Lions. Uh, they're yeah. going to take him in, uh, in, the, in the fifth round. I don't even know how many rounds there are in the NFL Draft. I'm seven. Not. There's so, seven. Great. Fifth round wouldn't be too bad then. Yeah, I'm projecting Tommy fourth, third or fourth round. Third or fourth round. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. They say he mm-hmm. plays every position. So every single be... position. Yeah, he's yeah. an Iron Man, Jack of all trades. Speaking of football, I'm glad that we're recording now so I don't have to watch that abomination of a <laughs> Cardinals performance. Oh my God, them and the Rams. What yeah. a disaster. So Yeah, I would say from what little I know about football, it's funny that the Patriots get absolutely whacked by the Bills. It uh, is fun. Whereas the 49ers won with Garoppolo at the helm. Oh, did you see the end of that Cowboys game? Yeah, that, that was. I don't watch much football, but yeah, that was a little embarrassing. It was delicious, absolutely delicious. Best part of my weekend for sure. Well, no, you know what, Mike? This is the best part of my weekend. Excellent. It's Monday. Right, here it's, this is Monday. This is Monday. <laughs> but, uh, Monday. Yeah. yeah, maybe we should just jump in and get started. Indeed. So first thing we'll get into everybody's favorite topic: Kate Cunningham, mm-hmm. uh, the culprit of the finger point of doom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that was fun. Obviously, was fun. yeah, that was a bummer. It was a bummer to see Kate get tossed. Uh, I feel like I don't, I don't really care about this, but uh, it certainly gained him some not- some notoriety. I mean, he's just he hasn't been a Mobley who's uh, who's really front and center. He hasn't been. Well, just put it this way. I mean, he's just been very, very fundamentally sound, and that doesn't mm-hmm. really get as much attention. Mm-hmm. Is it is it safe to say that Kate has arrived? Would you I would say so? He's, yeah, I, uh, I think so too. I, I honestly, I, I, and I don't know. If this is just my fan bias, but I feel like, at least from the Pistons' point of view, Kate is like the best player on the floor almost every time he takes the court. Uh, oh, absolutely. Not wearing a Pistons jersey. There, you know, there's another guy who sometimes is the best player on the court. We're going to get into him a little bit later. But Cade, man, like he's starting to figure out that when he attacks the basket, he's pretty well unstoppable, I think. Yeah, uh, the... the One of the big concerns about him... I didn't really have this concern, but one of the concerns going into the draft or really the biggest knock was, you know, is the guy going to be athletic enough to get to his spots in the interior mm-hmm. in the NBA? And even as a rookie, and I'm, I'm fully confident that he'll put on more strength and be able to use it. He no already uses it well. He has no trouble getting there. Uh, he's got, uh, you know, not really kind of traditional explosiveness, but he's definitely got enough of it and he's very shifty. Yeah. And he's very, very, very patient. Like when you see him on the drive, particularly uh, off the high pick and roll, he just is fully in control at all times and just mm-hmm. knows what to do. He's not a guy who's driving on instinct. He's always thinking. No, you know what word I'd use, Mike? Surgical. Surgical. He's surgical with the offense. And that 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 um, encapsulates his scoring and it certainly encapsulates his, his passing. But as far as scoring is concerned, like I said about going to the basket, attacking. He's got a very sophisticated way of sealing the defender off. You know, he uses his off arm very subtly to make sure that the ball is shielded the entire time, you know, Mm -hmm. he's reaching out and his arms are just so long, right? He's Mm -hmm. so long and lanky. He can just kind of lay it in. um, And the defender really doesn't have a chance. And I, I feel like a broken record. I've said this so many times, but it's like he's too skilled for the bigs and he's, and he's too big for the guards. Like there's not, much you can do when Cade Cunningham gets a full head of steam and he's and he's headed to the basket and and to your point, he doesn't just do it um, off off the cuff off the cuff right he 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 chooses his spots wisely he's methodical he's surgical and really he's been he's been getting it done we'll, we'll say that he's been getting it done yeah absolutely I agree 
the next frontier, of course, for him is finding is you know is figuring out ways to draw fouls. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I we were all told coming into the draft, uh, or, you know, not really we were all told, but much was made of his just excellent basketball IQ. How he was smart beyond his years, just uh, seize the game in a way that few players can. Yeah, and uh, such that he was really the consensus number one pick in a draft that had three guys and Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, and Kate who could have gone number one in any given draft. And yep. But I really didn't fully see it until, you know, really the last couple of months. Uh, it's I still think it's a little bit of a shame we didn't get to see him really just explode right out of the gates. You know, whatever that happens. Well, he was dealing with the ankle injury, right? Like you yeah. gotta well consider, yeah. and this is I think, uh, man, I wish Tommy was here because Tommy has said this before. But I think fans really need to consider the human aspect here. You know, think about Cade, right? He he is heralded as the savior pretty much immediately for a franchise that's been in the dark for years and years and decades, really. And he comes in and it's immediately ankle injury, right? So he's got to rehab his way back from that. He starts right. off slow, probably yeah. as a result of the lack of conditioning because of that injury. And then when he know. finally starts to find his groove, he gets COVID. <laughs> like, and yeah. it's like, you can't, the, the poor guy just can't catch a break. But now that things are starting to fall into place, he is really showing out. Like, yeah, absolutely. really showing out. Yeah, he, yeah, it was the ankle injury, of course, which mm-hmm. made it harder for him to get up to speed, the inability to participate fully in training camp or in preseason. And it probably cost him rookie of the year, though. I really honestly couldn't care less about that. I mean, he'll, he really will have to have an, an excellent remainder of the season to beat out Evan Mobley. He can who, push. He can he push can, him. He can push, he can push Mobley for sure. He can push him, but the point has been made. I, I didn't think of this myself. Somebody else said this, and I completely agree with it, that when you come in and you're a player who really elevates a team, and nobody expected the Cavs to be this good this season. They're one of the best defensive teams in the league. Yeah. Jared Allen is part of that, but Mobley is a, a really big part of that. He's huge. So, huge for them. Yeah. So he's been a major component of the Cavs transitioning from joke to almost certainly making the playoffs. And that's just, I think that's going to be too much for Cade to overcome. And Wes, he is just fantastic. It may be. The season. Yeah, that that may be the case. And I think Pistons fans need to, listen, I love Cade. Mike loves Cade. Tommy loves Cade. We, we t- listen, we get it. And, and Cade is playing great. But when you are, you couldn't have said it better, Mike, when you are elevating your team, when what you're doing is being looked at through the lens of winning basketball, you have entered an entirely different conversation. Like now you're a winning player. Now you're elevating your program. And 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 it's it's funny because you you've got to think, and this is something that Tommy has brought up several times. Mobley, for as talented as he is, he was dropped into a much better situation than Cade was. And to oh, his credit, yeah. yeah, without a doubt. And he's making the most of that situation. So I'm not taking anything from Mobley. Longtime listeners know I was um I think we all liked Mobley, but I loved him. I was just salivating over him in some of the draft profiles. And he's a supremely talented player. But Cade was a little bit handicapped. So like like you said, rookie of the year, I, who knows? Who really knows with rookie of the year? I don't care too much either. But I think Mobley being a part of a, a winning program puts him a little out of reach for Cade right now. Unless, like you said, he just explodes as a scorer. Yeah. Cade doesn't. This Cade cannot elevate this team. I mean, this team is not elevatable, so to speak. I mean, there's it's got so many problems with it, uh, from shooting to athleticism to verticality. Of course, part of athleticism, but uh, yeah, it, there's just there's no elevating this team. Uh, Mobley came into a situation, like you said, that was much better. Uh, Darius Garland has been very good. Jared Allen has been very good. Uh, Kevin Love has has had himself a resurgence. Um, geez, who did they lose recently? 
El Rubio. Rubio was having a real good season for them. Still couldn't really shoot very well, but he was he was really good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just things have gone very well for them. Even losing Sexton early, and, and Sexton, I got a feeling in some ways was addition by subtraction because it's very hard to run an offense when Sexton is on the floor because mm-hmm. he has to be the offense. So yeah, that just it just gives Mobley an inherent advantage. But like you said, it's nothing. It's not to take anything away from him. I mean, a guy's a defensive monster. He's been good on the offensive side. And in the draft, during the draft profiles, I mean, I just felt like the Pistons so badly needed an offensive initiator. And I don't think Mobley's ever going to be that. He came into a situation with Garland, uh, who who has, again, been very good. Has been possibly freed up by the injury to Sexton to really be a point guard. And yeah, that's why I had, it's probably the biggest reason why I had uh, Green and uh, and Cade ahead of Mobley. Also, I I remain concerned about his injuries. You know, with a guy who is as tall and as mobile as he is, it is difficult Mm -hmm. to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, sure. and and listen, let's not let let's not get it twisted here. I don't want to speak for you, Mike, but I still think unequivocally the Pistons made the correct. Oh, 100 uh, percent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You needed an offensive initiator. You know, the Cavs and the Pistons were in different places as franchises. The Cavs were able to just pop Mobley in there, and and they've already got their Darius Garland. And I know Sexton got hurt, but they had him, and and away you go. Whereas the Pistons desperately needed someone to run their offense and and for for what it's worth for rookie of the year i just want to i just want to toss this out there mobley definitely has a firm grasp on it and like we said it's going to take a a pretty big explosion from Cade to rip that away from him but Cade is capable of that i don't want to make it sound like this award is completely out of reach like it's like we said his his offense has got like he was going toe to toe with Devin Booker the other night, like toe to toe. Like it was a legitimate back and forth. It was, it was like a layup line for the two of them. They were just scoring at will. It's not and, just that. I mean, it's not just that the Phoenix had uh, Mikal Bridges guarding him much of the time. And Bridges is one of the best defensive wings in the league. Like bar yeah, And it doesn't matter because Cade's got, you know, he'll seal you with the off arm and he'll just lay it into the basket. He's got, I don't even know if I want to call you, you know, the move I'm talking about where he, he plants his feet and he like kind of fakes a, like he's leaning one way and then he gets the guy to jump every single time. And then he shoots from the other side. He's got just such a wide array of 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 moves at his disposal and and I keep I I can't belabor the point enough he's 20 like imagine what he can be at 24 25 like we're I knew Cade was going to be good I didn't know that he was going to be this good this fast yeah it's uh, I mean not not only is he that offensive initiator I mean it's we'll, we'll put it this way I mean Mobley can be maybe your franchise player but uh, like a Mobley if you don't have that guy who's going to initiate the offense and be a real good player next to him, but let me put it this way. I mean, of course the redrafts start coming out and it's like, Oh, in a redraft 40 games into their NBA career, Evan Mobley would go first. It's like, are you mm-hmm. kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but, uh, yeah, is, yeah. yeah as, as, as we all said during the draft lead ups, uh, Kate is not only a really good player. He's also a guy who can lead a team that is also valuable. Uh, clearly he's just got a, a leader's mentality, a winning mentality. And it's just, uh, it's been a pleasure to watch him play. I mean, he's just, he sees, he sees the game in a different level from most players. Just the, mm-hmm. the amount of patience he has. I mean, this is notable on the pick and roll. The guy is completely unhurried. He's still kind of, uh, smoothing out the wrinkles as far as turnovers are concerned, but he's, he's just such a smart player and he's really showing his capacity right now as a three level scorer, as well as mid range game has really improved. And mm-hmm. you put together his ability to shoot, pull up threes, uh, shoot from the mid range and attack the basket. And, you know, you add excellent court vision, just general IQ on top of that. This is a very difficult player to stop in general 
Also. And that's just one side of the ball. Like, I, yeah. I mean, I, is this safe to say, Mike? Because this is what I was, this is what I was thinking. I would say that Cade's defense was solid enough out of the gate, but I, I think to this point, and, and based on what I've seen, I think I'm ready to categorize Cade as as an impact defender. I'm not saying he's an all world defender, but he is. He makes things happen on that side of the court for sure. And you couple that with his offensive game. It's like, yeah, Evan Mobley right now, rookie of the year, sure. But Cade is like maybe an MVP type of guy one day. Yeah, I think when it comes to his defense, uh, conditioning is perhaps an issue. Sure. And sure. he makes he makes some mistakes on defense. I mean, he's certainly a smart defender. And uh, I think some of it is just adjusting to the NBA pace and the level of uh, level of competition in the NBA. And I mean, the speed of, of offenses in the NBA these days. But uh, there's also the fact that being the guy on offense and carrying such a heavy offensive load is difficult. Not many guys can play at peak performance on both ends. I mean, they, they often have to dedicate more on one end than the other. And LeBron James, one of the greatest athletes in the history of the world, uh, was able to do it until he got into his 30s. And now he just doesn't try on defense mm-hmm. <laughs> in, uh, in the regular season. And he, he's just really phoned in on defense uh, yeah. for many years. He used to be a perennial all, uh, perennial all defense selection while also being one of the very best scorers in the league. And I mean, that's exceptionally difficult to do. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's still physical growth uh, to be had for Cade. Most, most he said he's only 20. Yeah. So uh, I think the conditioning will improve. I think he's just going to get physically stronger too. Yeah. I think I know he's going to get physically stronger. So, yeah, there's, um, yeah, I'm I'm happy, and uh, I just wish he had a role man who could jump. <laughs> that would be so nice. That'd be fantastic, and, eh? Yeah, I mean, we can we can take that on the next topic. I know we were planning on talking about this later in the show, but I got to mention Isaiah Stewart. Uh, this is just a topic on it's a shame because we were so high on Stuart West season. You know, it's like, you know, he's just a guy who makes everybody around him better. He really knows what he's doing and he doesn't know what he's doing on defense, but he's just, he just brings so much in the way of intangibles and, and how hard he works. And then he's the starting center this season and he's got big problems. Yeah. And, he, he's taken a big step back. Um, I, I think probably the most notable facet of his game in which it's like, Oh man, I, I'd say it's the shooting. Uh, he barely shoots, which I think was a big part of what th- there was a specific way that we would articulate it in the off season, where it's basically like, look, Stewart is a physically limited five. He's never going to have the height. He's never going to have the vertical ability. But the fact that he can space the floor from mid range out, you know, theoretically, means that you probably can keep him on the floor um, in crunch time. He can possibly be a starting center when you couple that with his defense and rebounding. And to be clear, this is what we were saying in the off season. You know, we don't know what his ceiling is, but right now he's, he doesn't even shoot. And when he does, it's like not even close. Um, So if he's not spacing the floor and he's an undersized center who can't jump, what, what are we looking at? Probably a backup. Um, Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, it even happened over the course of last season. I mean, he started shooting early on and he was doing well. And then there was just a severe decline in, at first, just the accuracy of his shots, just on, in terms of his conversion rates, and then just hitting the backboard and not even hitting the rim. I mean, his misses just grew ugly. And this season, yeah, he just he doesn't even try to shoot when he does. Yeah, I'm just repeating what you said. When he does, it's ugly. But I've got to say that... Uh, 
if I said that uh, last season that, yeah, you know, as long as he can shoot, it's fine. Now I just, now I don't feel that way anymore. Even if he mm-hmm. can shoot. Same, same. Yeah. There are two teams which field a starting center who is undersized and cannot jump. One is the Pistons. The other is the Thunder. Uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I think it's safe to say, is not the long-term answer. It's starting center for the yeah, Thunder. A lot of wins between those two teams, eh? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic teams. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. exactly. You know, the problem with, with Stewart, and I'm going to, I'm going to credit my dad on that. Not that it takes a, a rocket scientist to see this, but I, I was watching the game with, um, I was watching the game with my dad, this most recent one, and, and it was Stuart matched up on JaVale McGee. And my dad goes, you know, McGee can probably just like post him up and, and like put the ball in the basket over him, like literally just lean over and put the ball in the basket. And that's pretty much what JaVale was doing. Like there, there just isn't like, it's not Isaiah's fault, but he's not tall enough he he doesn't have the vertical to get up there and contest those shots like once he's matched up against a bigger center it like we're talking about JaVale McGee look at what DeAndre Ayton did it's like you can't you can't have that guy as your starting center if you want to be a competitive team and he certainly certainly cannot play in crunch time in the playoffs I'd say unless it's in a limited role that's that's how I feel watching him against these big centers right now yeah, I wouldn't say it even it's just a matter of crunch time. I'd say it's an issue in the regular season. It's like even weaving aside the defense uh, against tenors who are taller or particularly centers who are taller and can jump. I mean, Whiteside gave him big issues. Whiteside is not a particularly good center. He's not a starting no. center in the NBA anymore. No, he just, just happens tall. to be like four <laughs> inches taller. And, yeah. and much better able to jump. Mm-hmm. McGee is having the best season of his career. I mean, he could uh, he could start on a team that's got a lot of talent out on the perimeter. But basically, it was yeah he couldn't handle Aiden. Aiden is much taller and can jump, or considerably taller. Uh, you can handle McGee. McGee is considerably taller and can jump. He couldn't handle Whiteside. He couldn't handle Mitchell Robinson. Um, he couldn't like even earlier in the season. I remember Sabanis getting a rebound, and it's like Sabanis isn't. A particularly good jumper either. I don't, I don't know how long he is, but he basically just held the ball above his head. Stewart was kind of like just out of luck. There's no way you're going to get to it. It's like <laughs> so when your older brother, when your older brother just holds something up above your head. It's just a problem. Like on offense, he can't be a proper role man. Yeah. Because uh, not only is he on the shorter side for centers, he can't jump, so it's just difficult to get him the ball. He doesn't have the greatest hands either. I mean, oh. you whip him a fast pass, he stands a pretty good chance of dropping it or just or just, just fumbling, fumbling altogether, yeah. and then that's a turnover. Yeah. And on defense, and obviously the lobs are just not there. And, and if you want to see the value of players who can jump and catch lobs, then look no further than the Phoenix game. I mean, it's, it's easy mm-hmm. right there. It's an extra option you have. And if your center can't defend it, the opposing center can't defend it, they got big problems. And Stewart on defense, you know, on defense can't do that. He can't handle guys who can either, bigger centers who can either just jump over him or even players who can sky who are highly athletic who can sky and who can just put it over the backboard right over above his outstretched arm he's long but he he can't get vertical like that but Mm -hmm. just how he performs against guys who are taller and can jump i don't see even if he if he can shoot great but i don't think that's going to solve his problems as a starter even if you have a good role man at power forward you can put next to him just the the issues on defense are going to be there and now a quick word from our sponsor hockey fans DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, so you know someone is going to light the lamp. 
If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, Mike, I, I was going to ask you before we started recording, and then I stopped myself. Um, can I ask you an evil question <laughs> that the <laughs> listeners might not want to hear? Can I ask that evil question? Is that okay? Yeah, wait on me. <sighs> okay, I hate to do this, but so now that we're... I got to tell you, though, the answer is no, Santa Claus does not actually That's <laughs> Hey, listen, <laughs> let's relax with the crazy talk, okay? But so okay, yeah. now that we're talking about Stuart like this, and, and last episode we had our whole you know, thing with, with Killian, what do we make of the 2020 class, the, the lauded 2020 class? Because the, the reason I ask from my perspective, um, your only long-term for sure impact player, I think is Sadiq Bay. And for calling those guys, the core four, it's, it's more like a core one. So what do you make of that 2020 class right now? So I would say if you get, it really depends on what we're looking. I mean, I guess we look at it on an altogether basis rather than like, sure, if Sadiq at number 19 gets you a long-term starter on a contender, of course, that's good. But you also had picks number seven and 16 to look at. So we know how we all feel about Killian. Obviously rooting for him to improve. I don't think he's a fit in the starting lineup long-term no matter what. If he ends up as a backup, it's because he fell you know, right in that odd niche yep. of of not good enough to start, but good enough to be back up. I think it's likeliest, you know, if he improves, I hope he improves both for his sake, but also so the Pistons can trade him for some value because I think that his uh, time on the team became uh, just, just, I'm missing on the term here. Um, whatever the case, I, I think just the clock started on him the second that Cade was drafted. Killian was brought in to be the point guard of the future. Not only is he bad at that, at, at being a point guard, but Cade is, is such a, I think just has the capacity to be so much of a, so much better at the role. Mm-hmm. So uh, his days became numbered. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. So I, I think I think he ends up being traded. If he can play his way into more value, great. I don't think you're going to get back number seven pick even in a weak draft value for him. No. Trade by trade. In fairness to Troy Weaver, I don't think anybody anywhere anticipated Tealian Hayes being this bad. However, though, uh, to that point, it's not everybody else's job to anticipate that it's Troy Weaver's job. Yeah, I totally agree. But yeah, yeah, so I mean, obviously that's a big miss if it happens, if it happens that way, I I don't have much confidence that Killian's going to end up being number seven material. And if he has number seven material, it's because he got a lot better uh, as a ball handler. Mm -hmm. And and in that role, uh, he was just a big pick and roll guy Mm -hmm. in in Europe and was lauded for his court vision, his passing, his work ethic. And uh, some looks of, of three level offense, maybe a guy who can develop a step back three and so on and so forth. But right now it doesn't look good. It's only 50 something games in, I believe, but right now it looks really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stewart at number 16. I mean, what I said about Stewart at the time of the draft, I wasn't thinking, okay, this guy's going to start in the NBA someday. I just thought if the guy can switch on defense, we're talking switch on 
smaller guys, you know, in isolation, you know, you set a pick get a switch and then, you know, the point guard, or the shooting guard or whatever attacks you. And so Stewart can do that. He can defend on in against quicker players. So if he can do that and if he can shoot, then it's a decent use of the 16th overall pick. And if he can do that and he shoot, he can shoot. Sure. You have an energy backup center. And I was like, okay, other, you know, in any case, he can be kind of like team dad, even if he's not, uh, it doesn't turn out to be particularly good. Yeah. Because uh, it's, he's undeniably a good walk around presence. So if he can do that, that's a fine return on the twin on the on the sixteenth pick. I, you know, the fact that he can't be a starter, you know, it's whatever. If you get a, a good long term rotation player at number sixteen, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say it's perfectly fine. Saban Lee, second round pick. Um, that's he hasn't been good so far, and that's that's fine. I mean, you, you don't worry too much about second round picks. You want them to succeed. Saban just still has issues. He doesn't really. His athleticism isn't nearly as functional as I hoped it would be. Like he doesn't really have the ability to drive in and then sky on one foot, for example. That mm-hmm. uh, he's vertical, but he's not like a kind of laterally. For you know, I don't know how to put it. No, I know exactly like, what you're saying. No, yeah, he can't. Yeah, he can't fully just translated. Maybe the way. Yeah, it, it hasn't translated well. Yeah. yet. he's a very on the ground kind of player most of the time, and that's that's not really good. No, uh, obviously, he's not a good shooter yet either. But he is a second-round pick, is, and that's – you know what? You kind of take yeah. what you get with the second-round exactly. picks. I just think – and maybe this is – like, I don't know. I, I, I suppose I take issue with the process a little bit because when you look at the draft, right, that 2020 class, um, the seventh overall pick as of right now looks like an absolute disaster. And then you take Isaiah Stewart with the 16th pick. You don't take – and a lot of people forget this. Uh, Stewart was picked before Sadiq, right? So – that's if right. you take Isaiah there at 16 and Bay is not, you know, left on the board still at 19, say something happens and you don't get to pick him, what does this what does this draft class really look like? And and I think too, when you have a team as lacking in talent to the extent that the Pistons are, I don't think it's 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 crazy to expect that those three first round picks make an impact and 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 then stick long term. But you know, if things work out a little bit differently you're looking at a massive swing and a miss in the top 10. You're looking at, you know, kind of a backup glue energy guy at 16. And if Sadiq gets snatched up, what are you looking at at 19? And and, and it's just, and then what happened? And, and I, I know you, you like, you're the one who always says you hate talking about the butterfly effects, but it's like, what if we don't win the lottery the next season? What is the conversation surrounding Troy Weaver look like? I just, that's an area of concern for me. I'm not saying Troy Weaver's bad at his job. I'm not saying that he's done a poor job. I just have some questions. And I think that had things worked out slightly differently, we're having a very different conversation about Troy Weaver. Yeah, it's entirely possible. He definitely benefited from the lottery balls falling the right way if the Pistons ended up in the number six pick and drafted Franz Wagner, who's been good. But I don't, you know, think this kind of guy who's maybe like your 2B option. He's okay. On, yeah, he's an okay, absolutely yeah. not not even close. He's a guy who can be kind of like a, a great role player to be guy, uh, you know, number two B op- option on a contender, perhaps. I don't think you're feeling nearly as excited about it. Uh, now, the, your questions about, of course, the 2020 draft are completely valid. Uh, it was reported that at number 16, the Pistons originally wanted Neesmith. Does that mean that you take Neesmith and then you move on and take Stewart at number 19? Oh, man. Who knows? Man. And there's also, and Neesmith hasn't been good so far. Yeah. Uh, you know, by any means, there's time, but... Uh, and who knows what he could do. But I think that, you know, he looks like a guy who will probably cap off as a good motion three-point shooter, valuable, but um, but uh, 
you know, who knows? I mean, I've been all over the place about Sadiq this season, whatever the case. Uh, I don't know if, if after picking Stewart, if he picked Stewart at 16, because he knew, you know, there was, it was just really out there uh, what the Timberwolves and the Mavericks were planning on mm-hmm. doing it at 17 and 18. I know that uh, the Mavericks said Mark Cuban had hired some guy um, who came from the world of online gambling, uh, <laughs> who really got executive power over what they did for quite some time. He was let go by the new general manager uh, who was hired this season because I think they just recognized they couldn't have him there. But like the scouting team reportedly was pretty pissed that he didn't take Sadiq at number uh, number 18 to Josh Green instead. So who knows? Thank God, right? But yeah, but... Yeah, I would agree. The jury is out still on Troy Weaver. We've we've spoken a lot that we don't really like what he did uh, with this particular roster, like not having enough athletes, not having a center who can jump, to say the least, not having a good role man for Cade. Yeah, yeah, and so I would say the jury is still out. I of course hope that he turns out to be a genuinely good general manager. Uh, there is some concern at this point, and as far as that draft, if Sadiq turns out to be a good long term starter, you know, even fourth or fifth best guy in a contender. You know, great, uh, but even in a weak draft, if Killian turns out to be the flop that we're all concerned he'll be, that might be a significant miss. At the same time, we've also said if Killian doesn't come in, uh, if he isn't, well, he got injured too, but if he weren't awful before he got injured and terrible when he got back, who knows, maybe you don't lose enough to end up with the case. Totally. No, and that's totally fair. I just, but in a vacuum, looking at that pick itself, man, like, and and and, and this is the thing too, some people... You know, I've seen some people make the argument, oh, you know, Killian was always meant to be raw. He got hurt, this, that. It's, listen, there are a number of things you could say, but you are nuts if you think the plan a year and a half into his career was for everybody to be shocked every time that he scores. Like, that certainly was not the plan. I I do wonder what Weaver's thoughts are on his play. Um, Maybe that's like a postseason somebody will ask him that at a presser or something, but right now it's not looking too great. But yeah, I just wanted to ask about that 2020 class. I think maybe we would do well to have a future episode where we grade Troy Weaver to this point, I think would be a good future episode. But for right now, I guess we can leave it there. Yeah. I've said about his strategy for this season, you know, not having that wild man, not having strong rebounders on the team, you know, not having that role, man. It's like, Either the guy just screwed up or he has a plan that's beyond my comprehension at the moment, but I suppose we'll mm-hmm. see. I suppose we'll see how the team looks next season. Yeah. But when it comes to Hayes, yeah, I think it should be reiterated that the guy, and I'm not saying this to dump on him, but he's definitely been remarkably bad by any, you know, by any stretch, but who knows, maybe we'll see some improvement. Just the, the catching point for me is that there's an, I don't think there's any conceivable way to make him a good fit next to Cade, so we'll see what happens. We'll see. But, uh, we can, yeah. There's um, you know, a, a young player about whom we both feel quite a bit better. That's Hamadou Diallo. Good transition. Yeah, there's definitely not a complete player. I mean, it has to be noted about Diallo right now that his inability to space the floor not only means that he's lacking a useful tool, but is a severe disadvantage. It's one that doesn't matter this season. Uh, it's just something it'll make the difference between him having trouble in the league, you know, being, being a, a bench player is not being able to shoot is a big problem and, uh, and being conceivably a valuable starter in the league, oh, hopefully yeah. for the Pistons. Yeah. yeah. That that's a swing skill for a guy who I continue to maintain as the second highest ceiling in the team. He showed some new things this season. 
and like we both know it, he's hyper athletic. It's fun to watch. I oh mean, that, that's God. one thing. It's just so much fun to watch. And this is, like that, yeah, uh, and that and this is the thing with you. You put it perfectly, Mike. You put it perfectly. I, in my time following the the Pistons to the extent that I do, I don't think I've ever seen a player whose future projection hinges so drastically on one skill. And by that I mean, if his shooting comes along and he could shoot you know say better than average his ceiling is yeah the second highest on the team and if he can't shoot his floor is you know a hustle bench guy who can make uh, an exciting play once in a while and that variance is that's that's really something so so if i'm the pistons i'm locking him in a gym and making him shoot threes all all summer now i don't know if that's going to work or not but what i do know is that Diallo is, I think he could be a piece here. I think he can be a piece here for a long time if he can just figure out that shooting. And, and you speak on his athleticism. I actually went back and I, and I watched uh, some Jalen Green tape from the G League. And I, like Diallo is every bit the athlete that Jalen Green is. In, in some areas, he exceeds Jalen and we were just salivating over Green's athleticism and, and his ceiling and the ways that he was able to finish like ignoring Green's shooting just the ways that he was able to finish at the basket that's something that we were so high on in the pre-draft process and Diallo can do all that so if Diallo can shoot <laughs> maybe him and Cade are, are the one-two punch we're looking for now that's a big if but it's something to consider and your assessment that he has the second highest ceiling on the team, I think is 100% correct. 100%. Yeah. You can't, I mean, you always say you can't teach athleticism. You don't have to be an elite athlete to be an elite player in the NBA. It's certainly helpful. But yeah, Diallo is top 10 athlete in an incredibly athletic league. And, you know, who knows, maybe, uh, maybe there's just kind of like a group of guys between like five and 15 and you don't need to classify it as kind of like a top 10, whatever. He's a freak athlete, even the NBA level. And, you know, yeah, all of his dunks against against the Raptors were, were pretty great. Number one, it's just fun to watch him play. But number two, of course, that's absolutely functional athleticism. It's helpful on both ends. You can stick to guys in isolation on defense. He's a genuinely good rebounder, which is certainly important for this Pistons team. His ability to just carve his way through the interior, some of the shots he takes are bad. But it's... If you put that all together, like it's just his, his ability to attack the basket, which is impressive, particularly in light of the fact that people know he can't shoot. Defenders know he can't shoot. They're playing him uh, at a disadvantage on the drive because of that, and he's still very good at, at getting there and scoring. If you add a three-point shot to that, not only is he no longer a spacing liability, and, I mean, of course, I've said this in the past. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but not only is he not a spacing liability, but you get him into a position in which defenders have to attack closeouts. It's almost pointless for them to attack the closeout. It's probably better to let him shoot because if you try to close out on him, you're done. I mean, you're finished second, and you can make the right pass. Yeah if, if help, yeah, if help arrives in time, he has the vision and the willingness to make the right pass. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and if he can shoot pull-up threes, and oddly enough, at times he's a, his form looks better on pull-ups than, than on spot-up threes. If you can shoot pull-up threes, it's like fantastic. Now you've got big problems guarding him because you have to play him close and you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah. Excuse the language. Um, so, but yeah, if you can't shoot, then you're kind of out of luck. If you can't so, shoot, he's just going to be what he is now. And what he is yeah. now is useful. Uh, he's an energy guy. He's a hustle guy. He's fun. I can't say that he's, you know, a long-term answer in the starting lineup. But if the shooting comes around, 
definitely. And I think it bears mentioning as well his defense. I, I you know, we talked about, and I'll go back to this this past draft class again, uh, Jalen Suggs. Uh, we raved about Jalen Suggs' defense, and one word that kept coming up was relentless. You know, Jalen Suggs is this hounding defender, constantly making things tough on the ball handler. And I see a lot of that in Diallo. Um, I, I, I'll be like full disclosure here. I'm going to have to go back and watch the tape on his actual, um, like from a play to play perspective, what his defense looks like on his man when that guy does not have the ball. But as far as just when you're watching the game, um, and sort of just keeping an overview on everything, he's a splash defender. He is the amount of times he's stolen an inbound, (laughs) like another team's inbound is it's gotta be like five or six now this season. Um, knocking the ball away when his guy is trying to size him up or when the man that he's defending is on the way to the basket, he's able to do that. And just, it's 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 like I said, he's a splash defender. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from his tenacity, you know, his willingness to fully engage on defense, to stay mentally and physically present, you know, in the moment. And that's something that a lot of guys just don't have the capability of doing so it i know we keep talking about the shooting but to tie it back to the shooting you're looking at an all-around player if, if he can figure that out so the ceiling is you know second highest on the team and when you've got a guy like kate on your team the second highest is nothing to sneeze at nothing so yeah, we're all about let's fingers crossed on the shooting yeah, definitely. Uh, he's he's got excellent length. I mean, he's got a, a wingspan of about six eleven. Uh, he's, he's he's six foot five. I mean, six six eleven is a great wingspan for a guy that size. He's quick. I mean, I, I think it should be reiterated. He is very explosive and very quick in a league of freak athletes. I mean, these guys are incredible at the the, the, the it, standard of athleticism in the NBA is really something else. I mean, it's higher than ever. He's able to uh, to scope out when he should go for steals. He doesn't gamble. Uh, he's always in position in which he can recover if he doesn't get it. Uh, but I, I believe he continues to lead the league in, in steals over the last three weeks or so by a wide margin. And they're good steals. It's not like... No, uh, they're not fluky steals. Yeah. He's creating It's not just them. it's not fluky steals. I mean, you had uh, you had day to bring up this name that's, that none of us like uh, from a very dark bygone era, but Andre Drummond, who got his steals by constantly gambling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you have to... It's like, do we have a stat... It's like, okay, he has this many steals. How many open baskets has he given up because he went for a steal when he shouldn't have? Yeah. And that's that's not the issue with Diallo. Well, it's like, He's is he stealing a net positive when everything is considered? Yeah. And Diallo's absolutely 100%. is. I mean, this is just, uh, Drummond is a, is a statistical quirk. I mean, we all know that it's, you know, like I, I can't think of another player in the league right now who has, whose stats are worse than uh, are, are so much worse. The player is so much worse than his stats than Drummond is. Yeah, and that's so, got to I mean, be. He's, he's that's got to be tough for you, knowing that he's your favorite player. I, I know that's. Popular. Oh, Drummond. Oh, yeah. He's. He's. <laughs> uh, I, I miss. I miss him so much. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So I mean, he's just a statistical anomaly. Whatever the case, you know, the, the average player who's who's very high in steals is doing well on defense. Uh, Curry is another kind of anomaly. He's not a good defender. He gets a lot of steals. Whatever the case, Diallo is. Steals are, are real. They're not from gambling. He's not a defensive liability. He some, sometimes has some focus issues, but he's only 23. So mm-hmm. uh, whatever the case, there's a lot to hope for there. And just certainly he's a lot of fun to watch. And if Jeremy Grant does come back, it's like, please put the guy, keep the guy in the starting lineup and, and kick Killian out. Now, that's what I was going to ask you, Mike. That was going to be my follow-up question. What is your confidence level that this breakout here, and I, I feel comfortable calling it a breakout for Diallo. What is your confidence level that his spot is at least for the time being, is solidified. Because mine, knowing Dwayne Casey, 
probably around 50%. Um, whereas I think with a competent coach, it's 100% the case that Diallo needs to stay in the starting lineup. But with Casey, I just don't know. So I want to know your thoughts on that. I'd give it like a 75% chance that he'd stay in the starting oh, lineup. Good. Uh, Killian's, Killian's role has declined. His minutes have declined. He's no longer on the floor late in games. I think that there's some acknowledgement that he's not the right guy. I don't, wouldn't put it outside the realm of possibility. I don't think it's likely, though, that Frank Jackson will be, become the starting shooting guard and he returns. Just if only, you know, major factor there is that Casey just loves to have him off the bench to do, you know, it's like a, whenever Frank is on the floor without, you know, without Kate, for example. It's, oh, yeah. uh, we can have every possession end with a Frank Jackson shot, which isn't ideal, but it's it's the way that Casey's operated with him. Mm-hmm. But I feel fairly confident that it would be Diallo who would stay in the starting lineup. I think I think Casey recognizes his value as just a hyper athletic dude who can um, who can make plays. Though it, it has been noted, Casey has openly said that he doesn't call plays for Diallo, and I think that was apparent from the very from the very beginning. Once the other guys return, oh definitely, uh, Casey. Yeah, Casey runs an offense. His offense almost invariably utilizes three players. Um, that is. Uh, well, you know, unless you've got like a guy like Jeremy Grant in there and you can just hand him the ball and say, okay, do stuff. But yeah, generally, Grant is generally, I mean, if, if you're running, if he's running like a free-flowing offense, like an actual real honest-to-goodness offense, he uses generally three players. One of them is the center and the center is in it because he's setting picks and bowling the basket. And those three players right now are Sadiq, Cade, of course, and whoever's on the floor at center, uh, generally Wiles, who has been pretty good lately. But the fact is Casey just can't run a five-man offense. No. So Diallo, he said, oh, well, Diallo generally just has to find his, his opportunities Where they come. Through, through, yeah, through improvisation, which is not ideal, but this is the coach that the team has. Yeah, and yet look at his scoring numbers, right? And that's yeah, just probably- it's, it's generally been good. He takes some, he takes some not-so-great shots sometimes, which, you know, whatever the case, whatever he, for whatever reason he takes them. I mean, the mid-range pull-ups, you know, no knock on Diallo because hardly anybody can, can make these efficient. He's not one of them. No. That's fine. Very few guys can, uh, and I, I hope that those you know when he becomes a if he if he becomes a good perimeter shooter, I think those will disappear. So, whatever the case, certainly a bright spot. So, uh, speaking of Jeremy Grant, I know that is still a hot topic, yeah. uh, you know, on the on the trade market, and uh, probably Atlanta may have may have gone by the wayside as an option. Uh, just now that they've traded Cam Reddish, you think for sure? Unless we, you think for sure Atlanta's out of the out of the picture there. Unless they decide to move Collins, that would require Collins to really want out and Grant to be the best offer they got. Yeah, and I find that unlikely. I mean, John Collins is such a talented scorer. I mean, he's he's been an excellent three point shooter the last couple of seasons. He's shooting upwards of forty percent this season. Uh, he's having a putrid season from the post, but he could he could score from there. Not uh, in, in his previous seasons. He's a great role man. A consistently great role man. I mean, the guy is extremely athletic. He's a very. He's got a great touch on the interior. Yeah, imagine him and Cade. So, yeah, that would that would be fantastic. And he's squeezed into a weird spot right now because Trey Young, of course, is one of the premier heliocentric creators in the NBA. Yeah. And then you have Clint Capella, who does a lot of work on the role. And so Collins is just kind of stuck in a weird spot because if you have Capella on the floor, you really want him on the role. Yeah. He can't shoot. You know, you can you can spot up Collins in the perimeter. So his uh, shots per game have declined, I believe, in each of the last three seasons. So he's he's just in a weird spot there. I'm I've heard some negative things about his attitude, but you know, if you can trade Grant for Collins, then cool. You know, 
I would say make it happen. And how do you feel <laughs> about as as uh, like a Hunter or an Okongwu? Like, is that off the table for you completely, or you think there's something there? Um, I don't know. I mean, that would boil down to what we think about, like, what else is available and what the future would hold. Like, what are the prospects? What are the realistic prospects for trading Grant during the offseason? And, uh, like, I don't think – I think his value will drop if you go into next season with him, not only because – he's not gonna be able to play a full season for somebody but because though he is extension eligible i mean if he's a guy who can put up uh, 20 plus points on good efficiency while playing strong defense he's probably going to book to hit free agency and yeah. just get a contract there because your extension the contract extension you can get is dependent upon your current salary i don't remember exactly what it is it could be that 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 would be that would be enough for him but um so if it's, if you really, you know, if you're Troy Weaver and you feel like, well, you know, the prospects probably aren't going to improve at the draft, because uh, at the draft, you have less interference from the Stepien rule, which says you I can't go uh, two consecutive years without a draft pick, without a first round pick. Now, the clock resets after you make your actual pick. So after you make your pick, uh, now it's just the next two years that matter. So uh, what happens is that the team drafts the guy and then trades him. So they have made the pick. So at the draft, you have more picks that are available. But, you know, if you feel like you're going to get the best value now, a Kongwu, undersized, uh, different from Stewart, and that he's a way better leaper, very athletic guy. But I'm not really sure how I feel about him. Not that I, I would not want him to be the center of a package. I think Hunter, talented player, has already had two injuries on the same knee, same meniscus, in fact. I, I'm no physical therapist. I don't know how menacing that is, uh, you know, how, uh, how foreboding that yeah, is. Yeah, but it gives you pause. It gives me pause, definitely. Yeah. And he really hasn't gotten to play enough in the NBA to really demonstrate what he can do. Yeah. But if he can get Collins, fantastic. I still think Patrick Williams is is a possibility. That's what I was going to say I next. Don't... I'm still on the Patrick Williams train, I think. I, I think that's yeah, probably that. my um, – I think it's equal parts likely and equal parts beneficial to the Pistons. And that's why I'm firmly in that camp. I think, listen, where there's smoke, there's fire. And, and we know uh, – I think we know for a fact that Weaver was really looking heavily at Patrick Williams. And so that doesn't just go away uh, over the course of, you know, a season where I know Williams suffered an injury. Um, but I think up until that point, he performed decently well. And I don't see how anything that he did on the court would turn Weaver off from that initial upside he may have thought that he had. And so, and I think the Bulls too are in a position where you add Grant and all of a sudden there's another option come playoff time. So I think that's a mutually beneficial trade. And I think that both parties are, would be motivated, at least it strikes me that both parties would be motivated to get something like that done. Yeah, I, I think it's not out of the question that something could really come out of left field by all accounts, you know, from reliable sources. I'll just say it's straight out. When it comes to sources, I mean, they're basically four i really trust when it comes to national insiders of course shams and woj and you add mark stein and zach Lowe on top of that there are all sorts of really crappy sources who they have nothing to lose by just saying oh i've heard this like if it doesn't turn out to be true hardly anybody remembers it if it does turn out to be true cool you've gained some clout like i'm, I'm not trying to trash talk anybody it's just that i and there are very few national sources that i trust so yeah. all sorts of news comes out, but but uh, but Shams has made it very clear that the market for Jeremy Grant is very strong, and why that is is that okay? You have Grant who, even with his poor shot selection this season, 
even with Dwayne Casey basically using him as, okay, here, Jeremy, please take the ball and create for me. Even being part of a bad offense that doesn't really give him very much space to operate. Uh, if you take out his first three games, he was scoring 20 points at about 50, 56% true shooting, which is quite solid for a guy who's creating quite a bit of his own offense. If you put him on a good team on a good team and he can be like number two B or number three, I mean, there's a guy who can provide you with, with a good efficient 20 points per game while playing strong defense, like stronger defense, because he doesn't need to get the crap beaten out of him on offense yeah. anymore. Yeah. So yeah, he's, that's a valuable player. He's also under a bargain contract mm-hmm. for the next season and a half. And you know, who knows, maybe he'd take an extension. I think that, that, you know, he wouldn't be able to get the max salary at that point, but he's, he's extendable. Uh, pretty soon, I think come next November. I don't know. It, it's usually two years to the day. If you're on a three-year, uh, you know, on a three-year deal, it's usually two years, I believe, to the day when you signed your contract. I don't know how the NBA is doing, is going about um, about that now. Given that that was, you know, the weird COVID off season mm-hmm. when free agency was in November, <laughs> which is not common. Yeah. So I, I think they would probably measure it uh, up to this upcoming off season. Whatever the case, I believe I saw that somewhere. Actually, it's easily confirmable. Uh, like uh, Bobby Marks, who's kind of like the cap guru, came out. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw him write something about what Grant could get. So that's why Grant is valuable. Yeah. I mean, that is that is a valuable player. And so, and let's not miss I this. Think- Sorry to interrupt you, Mike. Yeah. Let's not miss this for an episode where we've been relatively down on Troy. This is this can certainly be marked in the win column. So I fully expect Grant to be traded prior to the deadline. And if you reflect back on on the move itself, what you basically did was you took cap space that you weren't going to use for making a push anyways. You used it to acquire, you know, a young guy who from a cultural perspective was an absolute uh, home run of a fit. Um, someone to bridge you from one season to the next so that every game is not a blowout. And what's about to happen is you're going to take that guy who gave your fans something watchable for a year and a half, and now you're about to flip him for, uh, you know, if if all we're hearing is true, and like you said, it's coming from reputable sources that the market for Grant is the hottest for any player in the NBA, you're about to get a pretty significant return for what ended up, what ended up being, um, you know, a year and a half's worth of cap space that you weren't going to use anyway. So that's a big win for Troy Weaver. So I, I'd like to make it clear for every move, that I may not agree with specifically in the draft for every move that I might question, you can point to this Jeremy acquisition and, and sort of say, <laughs> not bad. Yeah, I, I completely agree. This is a situation in which you very well may get a respectable haul. I mean, in addition to all the things you've said, it, you might get a respectable haul in the trade market for nothing more than cap space. And, and that's great. And I don't know if he's he's the hottest commodity right now. You never know what's going on with Ben Simmons, for example. But uh, whatever the case, yeah. we know that the hottest reported that commodity, rather. Yeah, we, we we whatever the case, we know that he, that the Pistons are fielding a lot of calls about Certainly. him. Certainly. So, uh, I, I will say this: that I I don't treasure the possibility. And Jeremy, this is not your fault. <laughs> it's nothing to do with Jeremy Grant himself. Hard worker. I have no doubt he's doing exactly what's being asked of him. I don't treasure the pos- uh, the possibility of him coming back to the lineup just because Dwayne Casey seems completely unable to resist using him as this year's DeRozan. No, yeah. And, and it makes the offense so unpleasant. Yeah, to listen, it's it's Cade's time. It's Cade's time right now. And, and in Jeremy's absence, which I, I, I think we actually predicted, um, some people thought that it may, might make things tougher on Cade. And, and by all accounts, it has. 
and yet he's risen to the occasion anyway. So I'm not really hurting to get Grant back in here. And, and I can't imagine, you know, I don't think Weaver is either. And I think Weaver sort of sees, okay, let, like, like, let's go full-blown Cade Cunningham mode. Um, and let's see what kind of haul we can get for Jeremy. So if I had to plant my flag right now, I would say trade deadline Eve, uh, Blake Griffin coming back to the Pistons for Jeremy Grant. <laughs> no, the salaries don't match. I'm sorry. Hey, listen, yeah. no, we're, I mean, this, we're turning this... on trade override. You know, in 2K, when you could do trade override, that's what this is going to be. <laughs> yeah, we ignore the remember. cap and we just <laughs> we bring Blake back. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is just a you know it's a, it's a joke, of course, but uh, this is a just yeah. the point of the CBA. The I hope I didn't actually need to be unable. To, a joke. Yeah, of course, the Pistons would actually be unable to bring back Blake Griffin this season because they're still paying him in a stretch uh, uh, his buyout. So yeah, I know it's it's a real shame. Too um, bad. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, man, that was <laughs> yeah, that was a good yeah, one. I'm, eh? I'm glad that's over. That is another thing you can credit Troy Weaver for. Yeah, and this is also Tom Goris. I know that he he was willing to do this. Though I, I think Gores, what you can say about Tom Gores, he has been a good good owner since about two years ago when he realized that what he was doing. I was just saying, you know what, we need to, do, you know, we're not going to rebuild. We need to build a winning culture and then build on that. And he realized that that just wasn't going to work because you have to have the talent. You can't just get to the playoffs and say we're just going to going to become a better team by force of will, even assuming you even make the playoffs. Uh, he's been a pretty good owner. You know, he he bought a G League team for the Pistons. Mm-hmm. Um, he's willing to spend the money. He's willing to spend a lot on dead salary and be a little uh, hands off by all accounts. Just kind of let yeah, the guys that he hired exactly. do the job that they were hired to do. And and I think that can't be, you know, understated. We just watched <laughs> just to go to another sport. We just watched the Dallas Cowboys collapse in epic fashion uh, in front of the whole country. And Jerry Jones medals just about as much as any owner in any pro sport. So we we've seen firsthand as Pistons fans, what happens when your owner steps in where they probably should not be stepping in. And I think um, that that's to Tom Gores's credit that he was able to kind of accept, Hey, look, this is probably going to be an unwatchable product for a little bit, but ideally we'll be better for it in the long run. And I think for someone who like, look, you're the owner, you can literally do whatever you want. And for him to take a step back and, and sort of recognize his place, I respect that. Um, and I think yeah. the Pistons are better for it. No, they're better for it. I, I think it's it's a little harder for me to credit him for it because it took him nine years to get yeah, there. Yeah, but better late but, than never. Yeah, yeah, he didn't. Absolutely, I agree. And he's always been willing to spend the money. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it did take him nine years to get there. I mean, I'm not sure how much he was meddling in actual personnel decisions. I guess not much. It's just that the directive he put in the place general was mandate, completely right? The general mandate yeah, it was completely impractical. Yeah, make the and playoffs hired, at all costs. And, yeah. Just do whatever you yeah, can. Yeah, for the most part, he just he hired incompetence to to execute that too. Like Joe Dumars yeah. by the time, you know, by the time Gores came in in 2011 was just a straight bad general manager and he only got worse. Uh, the, uh, he who shall not be named was even, was, was also very, very bad. Yeah. And Ed Stefanski managed to come in as a consultant to help hire a general manager and get himself appointed as president of basketball. Still the greatest the general thing that anyone yeah. has ever done was. Yeah. I'll, I'll continue. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll say it. I'll, I'll, I'll continue saying it. I think, uh, Stefanski was the really the the first and only you know after only two other general managers, but the first and only really kind of long term, you know, been in this business a long time, straight professional. Yeah. I don't know, depending on how I feel about Jeff Bauer, who just had a history of failure behind him. Stefanski wasn't great either in his NBA career, but I think he was the one 
I'm saying this on the basis of no actual hard data. I think he was the one who got through to Goras finally, mm-hmm. whatever the case. I subscribe to that as well. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's, can, yeah, we, we could credit him for that too on a theoretical basis because who else is really going to jump in and, and tell Tom, you know, or tell Gores rather, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm down to just blow it all up. That's not what Gores wanted to hear. Uh, and yet Stefanski came in and, and ever since that point, course has really shifted. And I think that we're looking at, you know, brighter prospects ahead, which is a far cry from from the, the darkness that we were in, in in years prior. So things are looking up, I think. It's not perfect, but definitely better than it was. Yeah, I would say, I mean, also, we're not excusing what this guy does in the business world. I mean, I would say, say what you will about his uh, some of his business practices, particularly with respect to private prisons and you know, I would say, say what you will, uh, but that would make it sound like, you know, who cares? I mean, it's a completely valid criticism. I mean, Tom Goris has been a good owner these last couple of years. Uh, he has, he continues to do some shady things in business and, uh, you know, that's not, he, he deserves all of the criticism that has come his way because sure. of it. Yeah. All right. all right. So we're going to end with our typical user submitted questions. So Dante, what do we have on the table? Here? So a lot of draft stuff, uh, quite a few draft things. What I would probably primarily focus on right now, got a pretty interesting question about what do you think the Pistons should do if they drop to number six? Yeah, for me personally, I, I don't make my big board at this stage of the season. I like to wait until I have as much data as possible. So at least after March Madness, I mean, I'd, I'd love to wait until the combine. But a, a lot of these guys who are going to go high in the draft don't even attend. So, but I, I don't, there's just, the field is really not set itself yet. We're still in January. We got two months more of college basketball. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't really feel qualified to answer that question yet. Yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously, the the best answer is, is Jabari Smith, obviously, because you know if the Pistons are six, definitely no team is going to draft. Yeah. You know? yeah. They're just they they are going to fall all over each other to let the Pistons become the better team that they think. Well, because be. that's what it is. The Pistons and, and the draft they have a long history of uh, getting along, and I think that the draft has always been kind to the Pistons, so we can certainly expect that. And then. Uh, yeah, most of these questions are about the draft, and I think I fall along the same lines as Mike. I don't want to, you know, get on the mic and start spouting out uneducated takes because it really does benefit you to have a full body of data before making those big boards, before getting on and, you know, telling a group of listeners, hey, here's what I think, when really you haven't done the requisite research to be an educated opinion giver on that topic, right? So I think a little closer to the draft, we're probably going to be able to bring you that type of content. Uh, But there is a question about, this is kind of random, but how would Jalen Brunson and a 2022 draft pick, but I guess we'll just focus on Jalen Brunson for now. How would he fit into the team next year? Yeah, I know that this was brought up because uh, James Edwards is one of the beat writers. Uh, was I don't know if it was on his podcast or what else said he thinks it's likely that the Pistons will really look at Brunson this summer. Brunson will be an unrestricted free agent. I think that was more just speculation. I think it was phrased as speculation rather than insider information of any kind. So Brunson has been has uh, done well this season. He has done well primarily. Uh, he's at his best when Luka Doncic has not been playing. Luka has missed uh, a significant number of games due to injury, including one protracted stretch of, I think, like eight to ten games. So how do I feel about Brunson? Not good. Uh, he's asking for $80 million. You know, four years, $80 million, he'll probably get it, I would say, just because $80 million is not a ton 
these days when it comes to a good starter. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the going rate or even higher than that. You saw what Aaron, Gard, uh, Aaron Gordon, excuse me, got from the Nuggets mm. by way of extension, which is about $25 million. And, you know, that's, that's not... Uh, it's not terribly high for a starter these days. I mean, it's it's pricey, of course. You want to make sure you're spending your cap space right. But so I think it's entirely possible Brunson will get that from somebody. I don't want it to be the Pistons for a couple of reasons. Number one, Brunson I think is a very poor fit with Cade. Brunson is a very on-ball player. He could shoot threes uh, fairly well. He did it, did it well last season, not quite so much this season. Uh, I'd have to have the stats. My guess is he's taking quite a few more in the way of pull-up threes you know, when he's not playing next to Luca, but. Very on-ball player at his best by far on the ball. You look at his stats with and without Luca. He has, you know, he's averaging more than twice as many assists per hundred possessions without Luca on the floor. Uh, he's, he's just higher uses in general. Just getting the free throw line more, taking more shots. Efficiency isn't quite as good, but he he's got about like a twenty-five percent three-point attempt rate. I think this season he's just he's a guy who plays pretty similarly to Cade. He likes to take the high pick and roll and go on in and do so, you know, do stuff. So definitely not a guy you want to play next to Cade in the starting lineup. Even off the bench, you're playing, paying $20 million for a six man. That's a little excessive, and you're always going to have to play him some minutes next to Cade. Mm-hmm. So, uh, also defensively, I mean, the guy's six foot one with, I think, like uh, a six foot three wingspan or something like that. Uh, he's going to be a defensive liability on the switch no matter what. At that size, there's just hardly anything you can do. If you're Chris Paul, you can brains your way out of it, but hardly anybody is Chris Paul. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like it, and I don't think it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think. I think I'll say this, and, and maybe this is a good spot to close it off, but if we take a swing in free agency, I really hope it's for someone who's taller than Jalen Brunson. That's that's all I have to say. That's, that's pretty much, <laughs> yeah. That pretty much sums it up for me. Yeah, I might have a minor meltdown if the Pistons go another offseason without having a guy, without adding a guy who is tall and can jump, and maybe a Linux is a little bit of a complicating factor yeah. with that, you know, in that respect. But who knows? Maybe you can trade him if he comes back and has a strong second half of the season. He's getting close to a return. And it's worth noting, and speaking of that, that we are past game 42 at this point, uh, as, you know, as we're recording this on Monday night, uh, which is a little bit eerie with how much we look forward to this season. A lot has happened, not all of it good. <laughs> this season, it hasn't really been what we've what we've expected necessarily, but it's gone quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, in any case, uh, that's going to be it for this episode, folks. As always, thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.